HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have a good buddy of mine and brand representative for 42 Below Vodka from New Zealand, Paul Frontage. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, Damon. How you going, guys? Guys, it's just me. It's <laughs> all those talk? listeners out there as well, right? I hope there's lots of you. You were of, looking at me when I you got said out of bed for this. <laughs> so uh, you're here today. We're going to talk about uh, lots of things, obviously, like we would normally do. Uh, you know, cocktails, the the bar scenes, uh, and uh, and uh, you know, get later into the uh, program. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the 42 Below Cocktail World Cup competition. Um, right now, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, 42 Below Vodka and uh, the the vision and the quest. <laughs> the quest, world domination. Um, <laughs> well, 42 Below was started uh, in a garage in Wellington, New Zealand in the late 90s by a, a gentleman called Jeff Ross, uh, a, a marketing, uh, advertising executive at the time. Uh, he'd been flying back from the United States um, back to New Zealand reading the in-flight magazine and saw an article reading about how uh, a certain American vodka had uh, proclaimed that it was the best in the world because the purest, most uh, freshest ingredients had gone into this. And he was thinking they're going, well, New Zealand, we, you know, we're in I- two islands in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean, um, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we hold a benchmark in the world for water and air purity. Uh, and he thought, well, hell, why don't I make a Vulcan and give this one uh, a good uh, crack? So his wife bought him a still. Uh, That's he, a good lady. <laughs> uh, right? In New Zealand, it's actually legal. It's, it's legal to, to distill spirits in your garage if you want. So, oh, really? Yep. So, so a, like straight up uh, old school kind of like moonshiner style. Straight up moonshiner. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, there's not much to, there's not much to do in New Zealand. So um, distilling seems to... surfing. Uh, surfing, then distilling. Extreme then sports, well, bungee yeah. jumping. There you, go. You, you got me. I'm from there. And I forget about all the fun parts. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, he uh, he started distilling, um, 
basically came across this Volker, 42 below. Uh, it's when New Zealand sits on the map, 42 below the equator. He did it at 42% alcohol, which was a little stronger than the rest at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started selling out of the trunk of his car. So uh, I was lucky enough at the time to be working in a bar in the late 90s. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> and um, uh, he approached us and said, listen, we've got this, I've got this Volker. I want to I wanna try it out. I want to kick it off. We were, doing, uh, we were kind of leading the cocktail scene back in those days in New Zealand. And so we did the launch for him. And uh, we were one of three bars in Wellington, New Zealand, that, uh, that kicked it off. And from there, it's really, wow, it's a... It's a a checkered history of, of, of debauchery and fun and, and craziness. And uh, here I am, 11, 12 years later, and uh, sitting in New York and Bushwick in a great studio looking at a small child trying to eat a pizza. <laughs> nice. Um, that's pretty gangster, selling, uh, selling hooch out of the trunk of your car. Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, he'd, he'd do his day job during the day, and then at night he'd collect the – if we needed an order, he'd drop the bottles off. He'd collect all the empties because oh, he didn't have yeah. enough, you know – he had enough bottles to, to right. give and to take back and refill. So that all went on for a few years and then uh, kind of launched to the rest of the country in, in, in 2000, 2001, went um, uh, na- or to Australia, uh, 2002, London and New York and uh, LA. And then we kind of kicked off from there. And basically um, five years later, we kind of got bought by Bacardi and uh, now we're, we're, we're here. Cool, man. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the cocktail scene in New Zealand in Wellington. Uh, the, well, it's well, been at a, the time. At the time, I, I, I want a little history on this. <laughs> I want to know what what, what what the cutting edge uh, like, mixology was. There. Cutting. I mean, back in the, back in you know eleven years ago. I mean, what we thought we were being exciting with was uh, well, for one thing for New Zealand, we've always been about fresh ingredients, and and, well, and Australia as well. The south, you know, we, we come from a pretty fertile country. Uh, great vegetables. Great. Uh, you name it, great everything. Um, so we were, you know, we, we had, most of the bars were connected to restaurants. There weren't a hell of a lot of cocktail bars on their own like they have like mm-hmm. nowadays. So we had the opportunity to go into the walk-in chiller and see what they've got there and start using those. But c- talking about classics, I mean, you know, New Zealand, I think the first cocktail ever written about was a sherry cobbler. And that was in the you know, late 1800s. Uh, we, what we made was more the Manhattans, the, you know, the, the Negronis, that sort of thing. Right, those the, days. the classics. The classics, yeah. you know, they, we all, the whole world knew. Uh, we weren't really doing twists on those at all, but, uh, you know. Then, Just but, doing them strong, like, Doing them strong, yeah, but then we'd come up, you know, I mean, we'd, we'd take the idea and then we'd use the ingredients that we had on hand in New Zealand. So, you know, like a lot of fresh fruits, a lot, right. lot of muddling, a lot of shaking, a lot of that sort of stuff. And that's uh, reflected in the uh, the flavored vodkas that you have, like your kiwi, your passion fruit. And things well, like yeah, that. I mean, the, the whole reason why, you know, the vodka market is just, it's outrageous. You know, it would take you days to count how many vodkas there are in this world, <laughs> coming in every day and leaving every day. Um, the re- and you know, there's the same old flavors. Well, back when we started in '99, there was the you know there was the what the citron, the, or- the orange, the raspberry. Uh, raspberry, blah blah blah. Yeah. So we were like, well, bugger that. Let's see what we've got here in New Zealand, and you know, a little point of difference for us to get out there into the into the global market. So we looked around, and uh, obviously, um, uh, kiwi fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's not uh, a traditionally a, a New Zealand fruit, but we took it on in the early 1900s, and. Um, uh, it grew very well in New Zealand, and we called it the kiwi fruit. Obviously, it's the Chinese gooseberry, but mm-hmm. um, uh, we're kind of famous for it. We passion fruit, which is another you know a lot of uh, 
I grew up with a, in a backyard of my house. The kindergarten next door had one and there's all our cousins. Everybody had passion fruit vines growing. A lot of people did. Uh, we also did um, a fruit called a fijoa, which is pretty... Well, it kind of went off in the States for about a day. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, wasn't, it didn't really hit the palate of, 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 um, of the United States, so we kind of ditched that one in the States. Very big in Asia and New Zealand. Um, and then we did one we were quite proud of, and actually we've got a little taste here, which I'm going to hand over oh, to thanks. you, just, uh, which is the uh, manuka honey, which is a native bush honey of New Zealand. It's uh, a really dark, smoky honey. Um, I don't know if the listeners or yourself know anything about New Zealand or, or, or the indigenous people of New Zealand. Do you know who they were? I do not. There you go. So here's a little, uh, here's a little uh, history lesson for you guys about New Zealand. Uh, the, the locals, I'm about to find out, I think. The locals <laughs> are the Maoris, which uh, it's, it's argued about where they came from, Tahiti or, or Hawaii, but they canoed across the, the Pacific Ocean to New Zealand many, 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 many hundreds of years ago. Uh, and they, we have a tree in New Zealand similar to the tea tree, uh, same family, but it's called the Manuka tree, and it's a native tree to New Zealand. And um, obviously this tree flowers, bees harvest the pollen and they make the manuka honey which is used for medicinal purposes uh if you go to any well the maoris they used it for the common cold on burns for scars for you know battle wounds they used to rub it on and it it worked uh even now you go to health food stores and you find it and it's 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 pretty huge it's beautiful honey if any of you guys can get out there and find a jar it is phenomenal on toast bit of butter or as we say in New Zealand, butter. Butter. <laughs> it's cool. I just taste it. And uh, actually, I I used this in uh, the uh, 42 Below competition a couple of years ago uh, with an entry. And the thing I like about it is it's a very strong honey flavor, but it's not cloying. Like the the actual, like the honey, it's like, like you said, it's a little bit darker, smokier, and a little bit, like, it's just drier than most honeys. It is. I mean, it's... Uh... I've never tasted anything like manuka honey in yeah. my life. I mean, you know, it's if you walk into a store and it's lined up against the rest, it's actually black. It looks black in the jar. It's, it's. Um, I mean, this honey here. If you, I'm, I'm holding out the glass up. <laughs> I can see it, and Damon can see yeah. it, but you guys can't. But it's actually there's still a tinge to the colour because, you know, the way that we got the 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 essences to infuse into the uh, the regular forty two below, uh, we use steam. So. Once we put the honey on the grate and we pass steam through it because honey has that colour and it's always already slightly liquidous form. Uh, as the honey part, as the steam passes through, it catches the the colour as well as the flavour. So after about eight hours of uh, of steaming the honey, um, you know we infused it in. We couldn't get the colour out. So if you ever you guys go there and buy a bottle of this, it's you know it's don't freak out when it's slightly orange. That's just the colour of the honey. Cool. And so uh, going back a little bit to the uh, the production of your vodkas um if if this isn't uh too like sensitive of uh, <laughs> a, a subject um what what is the uh the the base of the the mash bill like for the distillate what do we use yeah we use a winter wheat winter wheat 100 percent australasian winter wheat cool which is basically a, a new zealand and australia because we didn't have enough in new zealand so we had to take some australia <laughs> <laughs> So much for locally sourced. Right, well, that's, exactly. just, that's pretty local. As locally as, local as you can get, you know. We, nah, we, cool. Off our western neighbor. So, um, obviously, you guys started out with the the regular, uh, the the straight vodka. Yep. 
sold out of the trunk of a car. Out of the trunk of a car. And uh, it started hitting the, the scene in New Zealand. Yep. And uh, at what point did they start making the, the flavored vodka? Uh, we started, we rolled through um, about two years after, we la- after they launched. I mean, I wasn't a part of 42 Below uh, back in those days. I was solely behind the bar. Um, about, I came to the States in 2003, 2004. They launched about 2002, the first flavor. Which was the uh, Fijoa, which was kind of, t- which is a very typical New Zealand fruit, and and that was the uh, like the kind of uh, short-lived. No, people. I mean, in the people just didn't like it in the states. I used to when I yeah. first came here, we do used to do. Built, is it still distributed? Oh, or? all over the world except oh, here. Really? Yeah, totally. I mean, I used to do liquor store tastings, and um, you know, it would be uh, these guys would come in and they'd be slightly, you know, robust and obviously good sporting backgrounds, and um, <laughs> I'd be like. Would you like to try some New Zealand vodka? And they're like, sure. I was like, okay, do you want to try the lot? And this is when we were trying, I think in the States, we had uh, Fijo, uh, Passion Fruit, and uh, the regular. And they'd be like, sure. And we'd go through the, the the pure, and they'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. And then we'd go in the Passion Fruit, like, yeah. And then <laughs> they'd get to the uh, the Fijo, and I'd be like, guys, this is a sipper, okay? Do not shoot this. And they're like, <laughs> and shoot it back. And uh, yeah, a couple of times it was definitely thrown on the floor. So <laughs> hence that we didn't take it, but it's huge in New Zealand. I mean, in New Zealand, we have Fijo, champagne, we do sorbets, cakes, you name it is made with this fruit. It's beautiful. I love it. We grew it. It's something that we grew up. I think pumpkin pie is the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> um, but Fijo is, it's totally natural to me. And that's funny. Like, um, you know, a, a lot of times that, with with the way that your palate changes, and also with the way that your palate interprets things regionally, things like even like you said, like pumpkin pie. Um, even, we, ro- even, we roast pumpkin. That's how we eat pumpkin. We roast it. Yeah, yeah, totally. How it should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've talked to people from like all over the world, and it's like certain things they that like bourbon even. They they won't like the taste of bourbon, but it's something that in the United States we've like grown up well <laughs> grown up with. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. I mean, for us, I mean, bourbon in New Zealand. I mean, you know, we had uh, cheap stuff. I mean, yeah. we, obviously we had the Jim Beam, the Johnny, uh, the the um, uh, Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I definitely went through a few bottles of Jack Daniels growing up. But I mean, compared to you know what you get here and, and the and the the quality of what you guys have always had. Has never well, it's there now, but I don't. But when I was there, it hadn't it was starting to come through. Like Woodward Reserve was starting to pop in, mm-hmm. but we didn't have the quality that you guys had here to grow, to grow up on, yeah. as you say. <laughs> well, but hey, like I think it's just relative to where you are in the world. I mean, like you know, people drink Campari and Fernet Branca in Italy, you know, at a very young age, and you know, it's yeah. used as a like you were saying, like with the Manuka honey being like used for medicinal uses, uh, and so that. Those flavors are familiar with uh, like people. You gotta, Italy, you gotta grew love up with the it. Italians, and, though, right? Yeah. You know, and it, like you try to put a Campari and soda in somebody's hand here, and they, you know, I think thirty percent of the United States might be cool with it, but twenty percent definitely like ecstatic about it. But well, the it's rest, pretty, it's pretty freaky. Yeah, bug juice. But have you noticed <laughs> bug juice, right? Delicious um, bug juice. But have you noticed like the Italians? They, their whole way of drinking is so much more is, is very laid back. Yeah, and just you know, no one really gets hammered or drunk. Mm-hmm. It's you know, New Zealand, unfortunately, we're again stuck in the middle of nowhere, and uh, there is a, a habit of binge drinking, and it's, it's not the best thing in the world. For a, but there is a, an issue there in New Zealand. So yeah, I don't know if it was with you that I met. I met a group of uh, bartenders from uh, 
I want to say Auckland. Yep, definitely. Auckland. <laughs> yeah, they they. Now Auckland's the biggest city in New Zealand, so no doubt. There's, yeah. there's two. There's like Auckland Christchurch. Uh, Auckland Wellington's probably our best uh, cocktail town. Um, uh, up to par with a, few, a lot of the bars in New York, actually. Not maybe two or three. There's like two or three yeah. amazing cocktail bars. Actually, a guy there from Motel who does uh, gunpowder rum. If I don't know if you've got any yeah. of you guys have heard of that. Yeah. He's from Wellington, from a bar in, nice. in Wellington, who does the gunpowder. Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to this this group of bartenders, and uh, they were just like kind of shocked at the way, like because they they were visiting New York City for the first time, and they were going around to all these cocktail bars and uh, and restaurants and just checking out the scene and like how it's done in New York City, which is also very different from the rest of the United States, obviously. Yeah. Um, but they were talking about how like the the alcohol abuse in in uh, New Zealand was like. Breathtaking! <laughs> it's outrageous. It's outrageous. I tell you. I mean, it's a, it's it's you're allowed, it's eighteen to drink. Yeah, I mean, we that's, were, that's not, a huge part of it. I think we're not. But you, well, I just think it's a stupid law to drop it to eighteen. I mean, because you know, when I was when I was eighteen, I was out drinking, but it was twenty one. But now, you know, and I was eighteen. But now the drinking age is eighteen in New Zealand. There's sixteen year olds, and they don't know how to drink. I mean, I didn't know. Well, I kind of didn't know how to drink at eighteen, but um, yeah. you know, it was like the younger they are, they don't know how to, to, to drink proper spirits or wine, and it, you know, the old rocket fuel. I don't know about if yeah. you guys had that stuff over here when oh, you, yeah. your kids oh. would just roll into the liquor cabinet and pour every bottle of your mum's thing into a two liter yeah, plastic absolutely. container. <laughs> I never yeah, did totally. it, guys. Responsible drinking. That's me, Paul Franich. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, drinking responsibly and also bringing this. Uh, like you said, more refined product to to the world from from the capital of binge drinking. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk more about 42 Below bartending with uh, for, <laughs> 42 Below brand ambassador, Paul Fronich. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. 
Again, that's the main course, Sundays, noon, on the Heritage Radio Network. The sound you're hearing is our guest, Paul Vranich, of 42 Below, shaking up a cocktail. Yes, indeed. Tell us what's going on in this one. Well, we're using uh, the Manuka honey, um, cool. which I find works phenomenally with uh, your bourbon oh yeah actually. nice so uh nice segue <laughs> thank you i've been working on that for days um so what we what we got here is actually a uh something that we use so, uh, we have a cocktail competition every year in new zealand called the cocktail world cup and this is the cocktail that you get in your hip flask when you land in queenstown airport and get driven to the uh, bungee jump and what it is is it's equal parts uh 42 below manuka honey uh bourbon which we're using uh, in this one, actually, just a, a good old Woodford re- Reserve. Uh, Going back to that. <laughs> guy, see, bring it all together. Nice. Uh, Benedictine. And um, if you want to just chill it down and put it in your fridge, add one part of water as well, and you don't need ice, and then you can put it in your hip flask, and you're good to go. Um, I am a little bit of Angostura bitters. We're using some Brooklyn Hemispherical um, rye barrel aged Angostura today. So nice. let's see how that goes. Um, so as soon as, okay, what happens is regionally, or is it regionally or by city, that you, you get all these bartenders together for a competition. Yep. That's the regional finals. Whoever goes on from that, they go on to a national finals, yep. right? Yep. So, say the United States, we had 13 cities, or 13 states, the major cities in those 13 states. We had regional finals with uh, 10 bartenders competing. Out of, all, out of those, we took the top two, and we brought all the top two from each of those 13 states to New York, um, where we had the, the national final. Now, um, we had the national final. We picked the top three, and they become Team USA. They go off to New Zealand. They battle Team Italy, Team England, Team Australia, Team New Zealand, Team France. It's, it's nice. country on country. It's a proper world. It's the Cocktail World, world, world Cup. Cup. And it's phenomenal. It's, you ask anyone that's gone, it's just it's a trip. It's a trip. And so you're saying this is the drink that, like, as soon as you get off the plane, you give everyone a hip flask yep. filled with this drink, which is delicious, by the way. Yep. Um, Thank you. And, uh, okay, now, tell me if this is true or not, but, like, the first thing you do is you take them to, a, like, a bridge yep. to bungee jump. We throw them off. You throw them off. Yep. Do they have to drink out of the hip flask while they're going down? No, no. Because well, I heard there, like, it, was, it, was, it was something like that. It was like, I can't really, I can't really, no. No, we used to, what we used to do was um, part of, we have five competitions going on throughout the whole week. It's a seven-day competition. And the first competition was you used to make a cocktail and shake it. And it was, you know, part of it, all about bartending is having fun as well as making serious cocktails. So this is one of the fun ones where they had to actually bungee jump making a cocktail, and they were judged <laughs> with how much um, liquid they got. They could hand to the judge while hanging upside down from the bungee <laughs> in, a, in a cocktail glass. So they'd shake while they're jumping and bouncing up and down, and then when they're lying down, they'd pour it in, and then, you know, it was pretty... It's, it's good, harmless fun. Oh, yeah. I, it sounds like I would never have a heart attack doing that. No, well, I mean, yeah, the first time... I remember the first time I did it, I... I mean, I... Should have probably worn adult diapers at that time, <laughs> but no. As you, after the first time, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. So uh, some of the other things that you were telling me uh, about the uh, the competition is that at the end, like what what like when the finals come up. I mean, obviously there's a bunch of different uh, other challenges during mm. the 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 week or so that you're there. Yeah. 
And uh, what happens? Uh, what's the grand prize whenever you win? Well, the, the, the grand prize is... Everybody. The fact that you got a free trip to New Zealand? Well, get, <laughs> honestly, mate, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, you get... It's, a, it's six, seven days of all expenses paid, fun with me and, <laughs> with and, and my cohorts, uh, Boris and Sam Fratt from the West Coast. And, um, you know, the winner does. The winner gets a, a helicopter trip up one of the mountains for a massive champagne breakfast. Nice. But, you know, everyone's a winner. I think everyone's already gone through so many competitions. And, you know, the, it's more about camaraderie and, and bringing everybody together and, you know, bringing these three people. So every, pretty much everyone wins if they if they make it to those uh, the, the World Cup finals. Listen, if you have seven, eight countries, you know, you've got 21, 24 bartenders who have never met each other in their lives. And we put them up and each country has a two-storied villa. Awesome. To live in with a full bar, and you know they get to hang out with each other. They get to hang out with amazing judges. Like last year, we had David Wondridge, uh, Salvatore Calabresi, uh, our long lost uh, global brand ambassador Jacob Briers, and Jason Williams from Sydney. I mean, you know, you, it's not just a competition. It's you know, the, all the judges give seminars mm-hmm. through it. You know, we, we oh, I didn't know that. It, yeah, totally. So you know. David got up and did a big uh, chat on uh, on the on course of punches. Punches, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Salvatore, I mean, my God, have you, have you ever met this human being? He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he gave a, a great chat on, on, on martinis and, and his uh, signatures. And, um, you know, it's, mate, I, I, I get speechless when I think about it because it's <laughs> so much fun, you know. And then on the last day, we have the competition, which is in front of about 500 people. Um, and they have to actually get up on stage. It's, it, you know, back in the day, bartending's always for me been about uh, entertaining the person on the other side of the bar. And you know, it's, sure. everyone talks about prohibition times, and this is what the whole trend is now. And you know, the one thing lacking from a lot of these bartenders that think they like that is, is the fun side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone's idle now, like Jerry Thomas and so forth. And they were characters. They were they were in the news a lot. They were the hilarious people. Yeah, people you know like I mean? Charles H. Baker. You know, he was a larger a larger than life character. Exactly. So it was Jerry Thomas. You know, these people were like huge, huge. So the whole idea of the final is to um, actually they have to perform on stage. So yeah. the, like this year, the USA team kind of started with a uh, you know. Back in the seventies, I have the tiger. <laughs> no, no. Well, last year they won. They won it, and they they came on with Run DMC. They were actually phenomenal. They spray painted the front of the stage, and it was, oh, it was, it was outrageous. Uh, this year they did a whole like it was like a, a, a play, you know. And they during that week that they're together in New Zealand, that's the time that they have to come up with their final cocktail and their what they're going to do presentation. On, their presentation, which oh, is cool. a show. And uh, honestly, if you guys get a chance and you get to go to uh, go to the cocktailworldcup.com or go to YouTube and look at for 42 Below Cocktail World Cup, and we've got a lot of videos of, um, uh, of um, sorry, I'm going to laugh now, <laughs> of, of all the um, uh, guys doing their final. And it's, you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Nice. Not just the winners, but everyone. Everybody, yeah. It's not just about the winners. Excellent. Italy won, by the way. Italy won this year? Yeah. Oh, so nice. Good drinkers. <laughs> well, they, they've got to speak. They were in their forties, though, so they've been around a while. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, the the uh, was the were the finals held at the uh, Ace Hotel again this year, or uh, in in New York for the yeah. for the U.S. finals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the U.S. finals were held in at the Ace Hotel downstairs, which is great. Uh, in New Zealand, we we fly over onto Queenstown, so we actually did it in a. Uh, the, the, we theme it every year, and this year was uh, Carnival of the Cocktail. Last year was rock and roll theme. So this year we did it in a huge uh, 
a circus tent on a, in a field by a lake and had, you know, dwarves and tall people and, and fire breathers and, and me and some other crazy people. Nice. I still want one of those guitars that were hanging up in the, in the yeah. hotel from a couple of years ago. That a was a yeah. I've actually got a... No, I'm not going to say that just in case one of my bosses is listening. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do you see in the future for uh, for this brand and for, for yourself? Wow. I mean, for the brand... I Besides just, the uh, the RV trip that you're going to take one of these days. <laughs> one day. One day. So yeah, if any of you guys got any ideas for me, I, I plan with my wife to drive around the United States at some stage and, and visit every cool place. So I'm sure... Uh, if you have any ideas for me or where I should stop, you know, post them in or, or however you do. Um, for me um, and the brand, I, I just hope that we keep going the way we are and, and, and people start to embrace, you know, not just uh, uh, the, the prohibition spirits, but also, you know, the other spirits that have been around. Um, it's, I mean... Absolutely. That's it's something we were talking about before the show. It's like the... Uh Vodka uh, nowadays, like with uh, like these like per- prohibition style bars, it's like it's not like as heavily it hasn't been as heavily used for the past few years or so. But now it's actually coming back. It's coming back with a vengeance, yeah, 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 which is cool. I mean, you know, a lot of like this cocktail that we're drinking now, uh, it brings out the flavors of, of uh, the highest spirit content, forty to below, forty two percent, the manuka honey. It brings out the flavors of the other products. I mean, even when you use the regular vodka and you mix it with something, you know, it it, it brings out. It the intensifies yeah, all it, the flavors that go into that. Yeah, cocktail. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. that's that's like an old Kaz- Well, not old, but well, he's an old guy from Kazuo Yeda, yeah. the Japanese great bartender. Uh, he, he always talked about you know the intensifying uh, effect of vodka mixed in with other spirits and other ingredients in a cocktail. Yeah, and it's it's true if you ever try it. Yeah, but also like just as a base spirit, it's like really coming back and. Uh, and it's it's it must be a very exciting time for you and for the company. Too. Oh, totally. I mean, it's a clean slate when you're using a, a vodka. It's a clean slate. You know, it's, it's yeah. actually you've got to put a lot more work into the cocktail to actually make it uh, unique or you know flavorful. You know, you're using other uh, you know gins, rums. They all come with a, quite a unique flavor. But mm-hmm. when you're using vodka, it's a clean slate. So whatever you put in, it's actually showing that your skills and. Uh, well, that's exactly. It's yeah. like we can all mix uh, rye, vermouth, and bitters. You know, yeah. different types of rye, different types of vermouths, and different types of bitters. Yeah. But it's like we know that that works. You, like, you don't want it to taste like water, and you right. don't want it to taste over uh, over floral or like like one of those fruit hats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> cool, man. Well, um, we're at the end of our show today. Um, I do want to thank my guest Paul Franich from Forty Two Below. It's crazy, man. Going from uh, Selling hooch out of the trunk of a car in New Zealand to uh, taking uh, helicopter rides to the top of a mountain for a champagne brunch. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> hey, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Cool. All right. I want to thank my producer, Jack Inslee, as well. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Look at that look in his eye, babe. Man, I wouldn't lie. It gets higher than a kite. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Man, I wouldn't lie. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. 
In the wake of the massive E. coli outbreak in Germany, which was finally traced to organic sprouts, the editors of Food Safety News uh, published an editorial suggesting that all sprouts should come with a warning label. The CDC, or Center for Disease Control, is echoing that sentiment, saying sprouts are not healthy food for everyone. Children, the elderly, and persons who immune sy- whose immune systems are not functioning well should not eat raw sprouts because current treatment of seeds and sprouts cannot get rid of all the bacteria present. Persons who are at high risk for complications from foodborne illness should probably not eat raw sprouts, according to an article in the current issue of Emerging Infectious Diseases, CDC's peer-reviewed journal, which tracks new and re-emerging infectious diseases worldwide. Although sprouts are often considered a health food, the warm, humid conditions needed for growing sprouts from seeds are also ideal for bacteria to flourish. Salmonella, E. coli, and other bacteria can grow to high levels without affecting the appearance of the sprouts. Researchers have treated both seeds and sprouts with heat or washed them in solutions of chlorine, yum, alcohol, and other chemicals. Some of these disinfectants reduced the levels of bacteria, but a potential hazard remained, especially for persons with weak immune systems. That would be the elderly, children, pregnant women, etc. High temperatures that would kill the bacteria on the seeds would also keep them from sprouting. So until an effective way is found to prevent illness from sprouts, they really should be eaten with caution, if at all. And by the way, it's National Sprout Month. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Check out a small clip from The Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, a show where food and art intersect. I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, <laughs> and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, yeah. make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Um, and most recently, a rabbit cafe? Yep. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I mean... And this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and eat. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has resonance with uh, one, of, one of our favorite cookbooks, which you think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have, have it as their dark secret under their pillow, <laughs> um, which is the future. Want to hear more? Well, tune into the food scene live every week, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Or you can find all the archive shows on our website or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. The following is a message from HeritageFoodsUSA.com. 
The difference between wild Alaskan salmon and farmed Atlantic salmon is just as great as the differences between commodity pork and heritage breed pork. Huge! HeritageFoodsUSA.com is lining up a major social buy of sustainably harvested salmon in July and offering it at a phenomenal price to consumers. Check out HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more details on how to get in on this opportunity. Experience salmon the way it should be. 